Hello and welcome to episode 268 of the Thinking LSAT podcast in Vienna, Virginia. This is Ben Olson. With me today is Nathan Fox in Stateline, Nevada. Yep. And Anne Levine, where are you? I'm in Santa Barbara, <laughs> back in Santa Barbara today. Okay, cool. Yeah. Back in Santa Barbara. Where are you? Yeah, I've been in Alabama from? the last few weeks. Alabama? What's in Alabama? Well, Sorry, believe I it should... or not, I'm from <laughs> Alabama. <laughs> you wouldn't know it by my t-shirt, but I am. <laughs> yeah, you're wearing that around Alabama, the Biden-Harris t-shirt? I was, I was a little more discreet. Okay. All right. Well, as you can tell, we have Anne on the show today, which we're very excited to talk to you, Anne, about this year's admission cycle that's apparently going gangbusters. Um, we are also going to talk about low or unranked schools and whether they're worthwhile. We have a letters of rec question. We have questions about subheaders in personal statements. Okay, a question about reading aloud on the LSAT. And another one about a listener on the pros of the LSAT flex. Well, yeah, there seems to be. We'll get into the numbers with Anne and maybe there are some pros to the LSAT flex. Anyways, this will air on Monday, October 19th. The November LSAT Flex is just around the corner, starting November 7th. The registration deadline for the January LSAT is December 2nd. Wow, that's it's we talk about this every time. I don't it's just like so far ahead of the actual event. But okay. Um, if you know that you might want to take January, then you gotta get your act together and register soon. Anyway, at least it's after the, when people have scores from November. You gotta give it that. It's going to be close, though, right? It's going to be close, but they'll have it. (laughs) Yeah, at least they'll have it. That is nice. That's unusual. That's not how it's been recently. Um, Wow, we got some real future dates here. Okay, so the February LSAT registration deadline is January 6th. I'm sure no one cares about that. Uh, But just so you know, there is a January LSAT, which is on January 16th, and a February LSAT, which is on February 20th. Of course, probably the week of those it won't actually be on those dates. It'll be flex and it'll be the whole week. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Most likely flex. Okay. Uh, email the show at help at thinkinglsat.com. Uh, your questions drive what we talk about. So please keep sending them in. Um, I guess we already announced that people who have fee waivers can get the demon for cheaper. Yeah. But not everybody knows that. Yeah. Yeah. 30 bucks, uh, 30 bucks. And did you know that LSAC charges us $30 for working with a fee waiver student? Yeah, <laughs> crazy. <laughs> so we've decided to charge the fee waiver students $30 so that we don't actually lose money on the deal. Um, how do they do that, Ben? How do they do that if they're int- if you got the fee waiver? Oh, yeah. If you it? have the fee waiver, you're going to get a PDF letter from LSAC. Send that to help at lsatdemon.com and Brittany or Annalisa will get you into that four months of demon access for 30 bucks. I was going to say for free, but not not for free. Uh, And then if you want to do something else – oh, by the way, if you get a fee waiver, you should get LSAC's Prep Plus for free. That's normally $99 for a year. So just make sure you got that. If you want to do something better than the demon, you can ask for 20% off of our premium or live plans. All right. Anne. You want me to talk a bit? Okay, so here's the thing. Now, we all know I'm not a statistics person, 
I'm not a statistics person, but I did have a blog post that caused a lot of people a lot of anxiety, which is why you guys, I think, wanted to talk to me today. My okay. most recent blog post at lawschoolexpert.com is about the competitiveness of this admission cycle. And while I know my dear friend Nathan does not like my hyperbole at times, there's a reason this time for me to say that it's probably going to be the most competitive admission cycle ever. And the reason is... Along with the most competitive election no i'm sorry most important election ever right every time <laughs> oh, man so and no pressure on 2020 at all but yeah, yeah. so here's the thing you know how i've been saying i've been really feeling like i've never seen so many 174s in my life as i've seen this year i am not insane okay the numbers from lsac on the report which there's a link to in the blog post clearly states that in addition to all of the data that it has about the number of applicants in different regions at different schools in the month of yeah. September this year versus previous September, in the number of people with 170s to 174s percent change current year over last year, 75 percent, 175 to 180 current change, 146.2 percent over last year. I am not crazy. More people are taking the LSAT and more people are doing better on the LSAT. So what does that mean for people? So, so there's a couple things going on here. One is that question, do I even apply to law school this year or don't I apply to law school? Do I wait? Okay. That's, that's one thing I'd like to talk to people a little bit about. And the other is the why. Why is this happening? It helps people to understand because the thing is this will influence where people should be applying to law school. Um, and how sure they should be of getting into certain schools if they're simply relying on previous year's data, okay? Because if there's more, if there are more applicants, so 174s and 3.8s than ever before, then Harvard's numbers won't stay at those numbers. They will go up, right? And that's true of every law school down the pipeline. Does that make sense? Am I explaining that? All right. So I'm glad yeah. we can see each other now. I can see you nodding and yeah. it's not all yeah, in my yeah. head through the ears. It's like silence. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, guys, are you with me? Okay. Yeah. So, um, so here's the thing to break it down a little bit. This year is like this because we all know people had a lot of notice that life was going to be kind of crazy this year. This all happened in March, which gave people, especially people who were uh, finishing college, a lot of time to think about and prepare for the law school application process, as opposed to, I think I mentioned to, to you, to your students the other night um, on Elsa Demon on the zoom I did is that in 2008, the recession happened in October. So it was a little late to see the increase that cycle. Uh, you really saw it in the 2009 cycle this time, economic recession and jobs, are disappearing, opportunities are disappearing, um, even internships are disappearing. You know, everything's going, everything was going away for this class that gate, and, and even for people already in the workforce losing their jobs or seeing the future uh, isn't looking so bright, they had plenty of time to gear up for this admission cycle. So that's one reason for the increase. The other reason um, is, you know, you, people are taking the LSAT flex more times. The LSAT flex does seem to be inflating scores uh, for most people. Most people who took the regular LSAT in my, this is totally anecdotal. You guys might have actual data, but in, in what I've seen, most people who took the regular LSAT and then take the flex, they're doing much better on the flex. Now, obviously some of that could be increased prep or what have you, but there, it's a lot better to sit for three hours than for five. Okay, we all know this. And, and even with the technical difficulties people are facing, 
Um, they did that on the real LSAT too. So it's not like there weren't snafus there. So I think that there's a, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of reasons people can continue taking the LSAT now. We're back to the not being penalized for additional takes. So all of these things factor into the inflation uh, in the scores and in the number of applicants. And accommodations. And accommodations, um, absolutely. And then the other, the other piece is, of course, there will be fewer seats this year because so many people who were admitted for this past year did decide to defer. We don't have concrete numbers on that. And also law schools have been very financially impacted. Universities have been very financially impacted by COVID. And we don't know how that's going to influence scholarship awards. So what all this is saying is that it's not going to be as easy just because your numbers fit with where Columbia took last year, Georgetown took last year, doesn't necessarily mean that's going to work this year. Um, Because when there are more people with your numbers, you know, and more people with numbers higher, it's all going to slide. So if you are not sure you want to go to law school this year, I do think it's a good year to sit out, especially if you are planning to defer anyway. But what I'm advising people is if they really do want to go this year, try and see what happens. You know, what's the worst that happens? You wait, you regroup, you reapply. Um, Not the end of the world. But I do think that this means people have to cast a wider net with their schools list than they might have previously. I just threw a lot at really fast. Yeah, I mean, like people shouldn't get, sorry, I was just going to say people shouldn't get totally devastated. Like they cannot possibly go to law school this cycle. I mean, I already have heard from several students who have been admitted this cycle and have scholarships already lined up for this cycle. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. It's not that the people aren't going to get into law school and aren't going to get scholarships to law school, but we are going to see, you know, and and another thing I'm saying that um, I'm really scared for people taking the January LSAT for this cycle. Um, I really think that because we've seen those numbers really inflated September this year over September last year for number of applicants, and all but like, I think the thing said all but nine schools out of the 170 law schools, I, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, um, saw huge increases. Only nine didn't see increases in number of applications in September. And I'm guessing, I don't know, one of them, I don't know. I mean, they're probably not the schools that our listeners are applying to. So um, my point is, I think January is too late for this cycle. And if you're banking on the January LSAT or the February LSAT, just wait and apply early next cycle rather than late in this one. Because if rolling admissions is a thing in, in normal times, I think it's going to be even more imperative this cycle. And actually, I'm, I don't think I'll take on any clients who uh, tell me they're try- trying to apply this cycle with a January LSAT. My existing clients who decide to do it, okay, I'll counsel them appropriately. But anyone who's going on that plan, I, I don't think that I'll, I'll step on board with that because I don't feel super confident people are going to, to outperform their numbers or even perform at their numbers applying that late this cycle. Agreed. Yeah. One thing I wanted to ask you about specifically, I mean, it's not as big picture, but you mentioned the number of schools you thought that people should pro- apply more broadly. And I think we've been s- agreeing with that advice for a while, but you're saying even more broadly than maybe what they would have thought before. I'm curious, let's get some numbers on that. How many schools do you expect people to apply to? What's the kind of range? So interesting. So here's how I would always answer the question, Ben. I would always answer that mm-hmm. by saying it depends on your goals. Some people are very tied into a certain region. You have people in D.C. who will not leave D.C., right? So they're always going to mm-hmm. apply to just two or three schools, depending on where they fall um, with the numbers. But then you have people who... Um, 
are looking for the best scholarship. And so they're going to apply more broadly. You have people who have two-pronged approach. I want to see if I can get into a T14 or see what scholarships I get to a top 30. And so they're going to apply to more schools. Um, If they're more geographically inclined, they're going to apply to more. If someone's a splitter, they're going to apply to more than someone who's not, you know? So I think there's a lot of different variables that go into how I advise an individual client on how many schools to apply to given their goals and credentials and preferences, to be honest, uh, geographic and uh, et cetera. So here's a way I would phrase it. If you would normally look at the medians and call the medians for a school for last year kind of a target school, I would argue that it might this year be a tiny bit of a reach. And if last year's numbers were a big reach, it's going to be nearly impossible this year, right? If last year's numbers were, you know, you were between the 25th and 75th percentiles on both numbers, then I would say that's probably your, that's probably your target school this year rather than the school where you're at the medians. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. I would just assume mm-hmm. that the numbers this year are going to be a little higher. Um, and so I would stretch out my schools list that way. So it okay. might not even be in- increasing the number of schools you apply to, but rather... Uh, which schools they are. Hmm. So one thing I want to dig into a little bit is you, you mentioned this example of like, Hey, you know, some people are stuck in DC, so they're going to apply to two or three schools. Right. I guess when someone comes to me and says, Hey, look, I want to stay in DC. So I, it doesn't make sense to apply to these other schools. The thought that's always in the back of my head is that they're holding on to some assumption that they really need to stay in DC. Like if they applied more broadly and were accepted elsewhere, I would not be surprised at all to see people say, well, okay, you know, hmm, I hadn't thought about leaving, but yeah, you know, I got a four. You're going to leave your wife and four kids and go over to California for law school, Ben? Everything is negotiable. (laughs) I've read that in 2020. Trust me. Um, So um, I'm just happy Nathan hasn't seen me on Tinder. We're good. So Here's the thing. Wait, what? It's funny. It's funny. Okay. So here's the thing. Um, For most people who tell me they have to stay in a certain area, I assume it, you know, I know these people well enough to know there's actually a reason. So in DC, it's often that people want to keep their jobs and go to law school part-time or they have a significant other that's employed in DC. Sometimes, Mm -hmm. yes, you can, you know, if that's not the case, usually that's what it is. Um, The only people who are really hesitant to leave where they live if are New Yorkers. They do not want to leave New York, man. They love New York. So um, I would just say, I mean, I always bring up options to people, Ben, and say, have you thought mm-hmm. about applying to Fordham? Have you thought about applying to schools in Philadelphia? It's not really that big a deal to commute. But in the end, it's that person's life and decision, and it's up to them. Sometimes people will say to me, well, what if I apply to more just for scholarship negotiation? And I haven't seen that be super effective um, recently because, uh, yeah, I just, I haven't seen it. I think schools are just onto the scholarship negotiation thing. I'm not saying they don't move at all, but I don't encourage people to apply to law schools for just for that. Purpose. Can I just push back a little bit on that? Please, yeah. Not necessarily for negotiating purposes, but so that the student will know their worth at other schools to put them in a better negotiating position just because they'll like – oh, well, I see what I could get over here and I see what I could get over here. And now if I really am not leaving New York City, at least I can compare those offers outside the city to the offers inside the city and get a temperature. I always think it's good to have more options. I I counsel all my clients, you know, let's, let's cast a wider net at the beginning to give you more options later. 
so that um, you have an actual choice to make. I, I'm a big believer in that. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, they might be surprised, right? If that, if Philadelphia, you know, some school outside the city makes some crazy offer, then, oh shit, maybe it is worth going. Absolutely. You know, the, the thing I'm often telling people is, you know, I, I really caution people before they apply binding somewhere for this exact reason. Right. I often find, especially in this day and age, like most people are not ready to make a permanent decision for their lives 10 months in advance. Um, and I often see people regret those decisions. So, uh, when they do apply binding and panic over them. So I'm not the biggest fan of that. That's not for everyone. And in fact, it's for very few people. Um, so I think this is similar, right? I want people to have options and, um, if people say to me, I only want to go to law school, if X, Y, and Z, it's usually to me, someone who doesn't necessarily want to go to law school. You know, if, if they're so narrow in where they would go, it's usually, usually, you know, it depends on the circumstances, but I think that comes into play with that too, Nathan. Yeah. I mean, not to harp on this too much, but I want to piggyback on what you were saying, Nathan, if someone does get those offers elsewhere that are great, right? I still feel like that's when things start to change in people's minds. They're set, but then they're like, wait a sec, is it really worth it to pay half where I could go for free here? This is exactly I what know. I tell everyone, Ben. I want my client, at the beginning when I have an initial consult, I'll often use this line with people. I will say, my goal for you is nine, 10 months from now to be agonizing over a choice between getting into a law school you're so psyched to get into, you didn't think you could get into versus a scholarship to a really good law school. I want you agonizing over that choice. Even if you say that, because mm-hmm. what I see every time, how long am I doing the 17 cycles, people come in at the beginning caring about ranking. And at the end, they're about to sign their name on the dotted line, realize they're not getting as much support from family as they thought. They're about to take out a shitload of loans and they freak out, right? So yeah. I always want in the beginning for people to have that option. So they're struggling with it nine, 10 months later. Yeah. Struggle. I don't care which way they choose, right? The high ranked school, the scholarship to a good law school. What I care about is that they don't have regrets later. And if they go through the struggle, they're less likely to regret. They'll have thought yeah. it through. They'll have had the option rather than pigeonholing themselves into one decision. Well, and it is such a big decision, right? This is a huge like pivot point in your life. And you're categorically ruling out options if you limit yourself at the very beginning. Whereas and I think, I think it's think hard for people to see that. You have to struggle through that. Yeah. yeah. I think at the point where people are listening to us now and they're in LSAT mode, Ben, I think that they're so fixated on the getting in, they're not so much fixated on the outcome yet. They're, they're mm-hmm. so nervous and anxious about getting in. Where will I get in? What options will I have? That they're not really think about that. They're in a very different place when it's time to make the decision. And that's exactly why I'm agreeing with you to cast a wider net, whether it's geographically, rankings wise, what have you. You change your whole perspective on, on, on the whole game you're playing. Law schools have done a great job of creating this artificial scarcity where it may, where they make it look like it's such a privilege to get into any law school. The truth is when we have people apply to 15 schools or 20 schools, they end up getting 15 offers or 12 offers or you know, multiple competing scholarship offers. And it just flips the game entirely on its head where you realize, oh, no, the schools want me. They want my scores. They want me to go to their school. They need bodies. They need people who are overqualified to go to their school. That's why they offered me this scholarship. Or if I'm right in the middle of the numbers at the school, hell yes, you're going to get into that school. They... <laughs> 
they have a business to run. Like that's what they do is they admit people who look exactly like you. And if you only apply to one school, you just, you know, you're sitting there waiting desperately to just barely be admitted. But if you apply to 10 schools, they're fighting for you. I remind people all the time, Nathan, they're the consumer here. They are making the choice, you know? Yeah, there's a gateway, but they're making the choice. They're the boss of the whole situation. The reason why we say don't pay for law school on every single show is that you don't have to pay for law school if you don't want to. There there are plenty of schools out there that you can go to for free. And um, start with that assumption that you're going to go for free. And then if some other better, you know, if Harvard admits you and not, if, if that's like a total dream for you, then okay, maybe it's worth paying. But basically everybody can, everybody who should go to law school can go to law school for free. And do you have anything else you want to tell our listeners? Just so the listeners know, Anne was with us on Demon Live the other – or actually, we, it was for all Demon subscribers. That uh, video is now uh, posted to the Demon. So anybody who subscribes to LSAT Demon can um, watch Anne's video. And we should say that Anne Levine is the law school expert. I don't know if I gave you a proper introduction. Oh, that's all right. I just assume, you know, by now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Now, I'm so famous. No, Anne Levine, Law School Expert, is the site and the blog. And um, the fourth edition of the Law School Admission Game came out in June. So it's fully up to date with LSAT Flex and uh, COVID and everything. So that is definitely the one to pick up. And uh, if I can be of help, I'm always happy to answer questions on the blog. Um, There's a contact form on my site where I answer questions through. Just ask people, be patient because it's October. And, you know, that's kind of like... I always say October is like, if I were an accountant, it's like my April 15th. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. But everything's good. I think um, you guys are doing awesome work. I hear so much good stuff. Everyone's loving demon. And uh, sorry, I couldn't find my demon t-shirt. I tried to be in the spirit and (laughs) couldn't find, I'm literally looking at suitcases all over the floor. I don't know where it is. So if I can be of help, let me know. Thanks, Anne. Yeah. What do you say, Nathan? Should we jump into this email from... Diba? Uh, yeah. Say and... You guys done with me? No. I think me? these are, ad- these are admission related. Oh, great. Yeah, if you I'm have ready. time, please. I'm, Actually, I'm, these first I'm all few. Yours. Okay. Okay. Let's, let's, I feel like we've talked about this one a million times, this first one, Ben, but Ann, we haven't gotten Ann's like perspective on it. So I'll sure. shut up. I'll read the email okay. and then I'll shut up. Look, not for long, of course. You guys know me. Um, the subject was low or unranked schools worthwhile? Question mark. I had a question I was hoping you could help me with. Over the weekend, I heard back from a school in California that I had been accepted to with a 75% scholarship, exclamation point. I was not expecting that at all. This must be a new listener if they were not expecting this. I applied because the school is close to my aunt and I could live with her if I ended up there. In any case, it's not a top 50 or even a top 100 ranked school. And I know Ben and Nathan really emphasize going to law school for free, but I was wondering if they have done any podcasts or videos talking about this. I applied to 20 schools, wow, and still haven't heard from the others, but this scholarship could change a lot. Ultimately, I was wondering what they recommend to people who get into lower ranked schools with a good scholarship versus going to their top choices, better ranked schools for full price. Thanks again. Deba, go ahead, Ann. Okay. I think that, uh, Deba, you have, this is a fun way to start your cycle, but it is not the end of your cycle. And sit back and put your feet up and relax and watch the other offers that come in. I think people get super excited and start going through the possibilities in their head with that first or second 
letter and then they realize there are going to be a lot of choices to consider. And soon you may see you don't really have to consider the one that you think is, you know, is so appealing at the beginning. Now, that being said, let's pretend you go through your whole admission cycle and this is still really tempting to you. I would say that um, depending on your career goals, there's, uh, it might be a great choice to, you know, I don't know which school we're talking about, but for example, you know, California Western as director of admissions there 20 some odd years ago, right? People graduate from there, they become judges, they, they go on to do real things, they're equity partners in law firms. Um, and if you have no debt, you know, you can go be a public defender, you can do whatever you want to do. So I would say it might be a great option for you. You want to go into family law, you want to go in something that's, that's, um, you know, where, the, cal- the, the prestige of the school you attended isn't all that important, but you'd have more freedom to accept a job because you wouldn't have debt. That's awesome. I mean, I, I don't look down on that at all. I'm no elitist, okay? I understand the value of a Harvard, Yale, Stanford, but I understand the value of, of being a lawyer and that you don't have to go to Harvard, Yale, Stanford to be a lawyer or to be a good lawyer. So I would say to you, hold on to this letter, let it buoy you as you proceed to get more news back from other schools. But don't go crazy quite yet starting to decide what your priorities are. Wait and see what your options are, then decide your priorities as you weigh them. Because you might have a great scholarship to a Loyola or a Chapman, and then you might get a little bit of money to an Irvine. I mean, I don't know the stats, but you start to see what the options are, and suddenly this may be more or less appealing to you. So don't get too excited yet. Just chillax with it, I guess, is my advice. Yeah, we're big advocates on the show of considering offers from the Southwesterns of the world. One of my best friends um, wanted to work in um, like child dependency law, and she is now an attorney, child's attorney, working in Oakland. And she graduated from Southwestern. She went to Southwestern on a scholarship. It worked out awesome for her. I have a buddy who's a who's a public defender who went to, he didn't even, it was like some school I'd never even heard of, like a night school in Sacramento or something. And he went to, I think that might've just been a California accredited school and he's a public defender. So there's lots of things you can do with those degrees. We talk about that a lot. My favorite example of this is in 2011, I wrote a book called The Law School Decision Game. I wouldn't recommend going out and buying it. It's from 2011, but the point still stands. I interviewed two attorneys who are both big time entertainment law attorneys. Like one is head, one was head of HBO at the time, the other of the BBC, like basically same job, different places. One went to Harvard and one went to Southwestern. Same job. They got their different ways. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So we have another letter here. It's about letters of recommendation. I guess I'll read it. Anne, and hear what you have to say. This is from Anonymous. Good evening. I first wanted to thank you for creating the demon. You're welcome. With your classes, my score went from a 143 diagnostic to a 163 on July's LSAT. Wow. After getting my score, I was excited about applying to law school this fall and began to send out my requests for letters of recommendation. An attorney I work for and two professors from undergrad all agreed to write my letters of recommendation. Thus far, I have only received two of them. I'm waiting on a third letter of recommendation from my mentor professor. I feel like this professor knows me best and would write a powerful letter of recommendation. However, I'm going on three months without the letter of rec, and he's basically non-responsive. He told one of my friends who's taking his class that writing my letter is on his radar, but he has more important things to handle right now. I'm starting to wonder if I should say fuck it. Sorry, this <laughs> podcast. Is yeah, I, that offends me greatly. Yeah. 
<laughs> uh, fuck it and just send in my applications without it. I considered asking another attorney for one. Instead, I'm only hesitant because every blog and podcast I have listened to advises submitting two academic letters of recommendation. I think I'm a moderately strong candidate given my okay LSAT score and strong GPA 3.91. I also believe I have a strong resume, but I attached it in case you were interested. Oops, we don't have that. Um, okay, here's the last part. Honestly, I don't know what the fuck to do, and I'm stressed because I'm plan I planned on having all of my applications done by now. Please give me some advice. I'm starting to get frantic. Feel free to use this question on the podcast. Awesome. Okay. This is so typical, unfortunately. Yeah. So here here's what I would say. I would do one last ditch effort and say to the professor an email, I am submitting all my applications next Friday. If you can get your letter in by that by then, that would be awesome. Sometimes they just I'm the daughter of a professor. Sometimes they just need a fire lit under their asses. I mean, and if that doesn't do it, you go for it and you apply with the two you have a hundred percent. Don't wait any longer to apply, get your stuff in. If that le- professor later submits the letter. You can assign it to the schools and be sent later, but just go ahead and apply, get your stuff in. Um, this person's been, you've been waiting three months for this person, give them one last chance, wait four days, fry, give them a Friday deadline, whatever it is, and then just move on. But I wouldn't angst over the fact that you only have one professor and then a professional letter. I would just get it done. Devil's advocate. Maybe the letter isn't going to be as good as you think it's going to be. If he hasn't written it for three months, I mean, maybe he just doesn't like you that much. It could be that. um, This doesn't sound like that saying the person says it's a a mentor, et cetera. But the reason I went oof when they said the part about, uh, you know, he has more important things to do or she has more important things to do. To me, it's like, well, that, I mean, that's such an asshole thing to say. Like, this is part of their job (laughs) too. I mean, you know, and so, yeah, maybe it won't be that amazing of a letter, but, um, and so you have to Go with your hunch on that. And either way, the conclusion's the same. Go forward with the two you've got. It's old advice, right? That you have to have two academic letters. Well, Depends that's... on the school. Some schools, like Columbia, I think, actually says they want two letters unless you've been out of school a certain many years. So um, it's not unusual, but I, I don't think this is a deal breaker at any school. You have a, one strong academic letter. You've got a strong um, letter from someone you've worked for. I would say just move forward with your applications. If you've been don't out hold of school your for... applications back. Yeah. If you've been out, out of school for like five years... I don't expect an academic letter in that case. No academic letters at all, right? Nobody's in touch with their professors from five years ago from undergrad. No, no, but often those people do have graduate school professors they can use. Often, Hmm. not always. So, I mean, that's a whole different thing than this person's anonymous letter. But I would say, you know, give the person one more chance and then go forward with what you've got. Awesome. Is there, is is two the minimum? I I, I just get these questions all the time. Two is the minimum. Two is the minimum. Okay. Mm-hmm. And the, the max, do you recommend more? People ask this. I don't know. I, all the time. I'm like, I don't care. So my thing a is if, breath, a school, if a school accepts more letters and you feel very good, they're, they're all equally strong. I'm good with submitting the max number of letters a school allows. <laughs> if you okay. feel like one is weaker than the others, I would leave it out. I want everything super strong. I, more is not necessarily mm-hmm. better. Just better is better. These days, how many professors end up letting the person see the letter? have a statistic on that, but it's not unheard of. Professors are less likely to do it than employers. I mean, employers are more likely to say, please write the first draft yourself. Write it for me. me. Yeah. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. I, I mean, that's something I often help people with. And I have examples of those in the book as well. We've got another email here and that is perfect for you. But, um, before we move off of letters of recommendation, uh, the advice remains that you should always waive your right to see the letters 
in credentials. It doesn't mean you haven't seen them. Correct. You have to check the box waiving your right through LSAC, but it doesn't mean you haven't seen the letter. It means you're not going to sue them to see the letter. And if you don't, if, if you don't check that box. It, it, there's a credibility thing there. It's like, um, people think people see that and they think, well, maybe you were worried about the letter or someone would change what they would write because they know you might see it. So that's, that's why you check the box. Right. Okay. Oh, really quick. One last question on this. How, what advice do you give to people who have to write their own letter? I get a lot of angst <laughs> um, about that. Sure. So stick to facts, um, examples of things you're trying to show. So instead of just saying, um, Marley is a brilliant uh, young person. Um, talk about, I was really impressed with Marley's ability. I gave her this assignment to research X and Y. I was really impressed with how she asked the questions she asked were on point. She figured things out on her own. She came to a conclusion that surprised me and was able to back it up. I want details to facts. That makes okay. a really strong letter. Great. Okay. Here's this next one. Subject says subheaders in the personal statement. Hi, I'm naturally working on my next step of the application process, which is the personal statement. Naturally? <laughs> my, one of my best writing tips these days is to do a search for L-Y space. And if you find L-Y space in your statement, the odds are very good that I would prefer you cut that out. That's just L-Y adjectives and adverbs are awful. Anyway, um, I've been talking to various friends. I, I don't like the adjective various there either. You could just say you're talking to friends. People need to get Chris rid of adjectives. Chris has got a question, Nathan. I know, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm a teacher. And do you ever listen to the show? This is all we ever do. <laughs> <laughs> no, I never listen to the show ever. You should hear us read LSAC. You should you should hear us read LSAC's emails and LSAC and David Fagman, the dean of Hastings. That's our favorite emails to read. And you don't um, like Hastings. That's why they could say anything and you'd hate it. But go ahead. Well, no, but you should see Fagman's letters. They are Fagman. Yeah, there's epic. Oh my, it's incredible. Yeah. Did you anyway. hear about the dean at University of South Carolina who gave out the bar results to the entire student body of who passed and who failed the bar? <laughs> like their like names? Accident. The names by accident got it from the state next and forwarded it to the whole student body. I'm surprised you guys aren't all over that shit. Anyway, go ahead. That's public information anyway, though, isn't it? No, it is not. The names of people who fail the bar is absolutely not public information. Oh, but the, the names of people who pass the bar. Yes, mm. but that's different. Oh, so but this is actually naming the people who failed. Wow. <laughs> okay. Anyway, <laughs> that's go, awesome. go on. Let's hear this lovely person's email that you're tearing apart, not on substance. Go. People know what they're going to get when they write into All the All right. Show. Fair game. Assumption of the risk. Okay. Um, I've been talking to friends that are already in law school and some that graduated, as well as getting some of my advice from this book called Law School Lowdown. Written by a Harvard Law graduate, Ian E. Scott. It's a Harvard Law graduate, Dan. <clears throat> I liked his advice so far in the book, but when I got to the personal statement section, I saw that he strongly encouraged that we include section headers in our personal statement to ensure clarity when moving from topic to topic. Topic to topic? How many topics are we covering? <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, not everyone can see my face right now, so I should actually speak. Uh, and I can continue reading, though. I, 
I, I thought this was pretty weird. I've never seen anyone do it before, and my friends said they'd never heard of that either. However, his reasoning makes some sense. Quote, <laughs> the headings told the admissions committee that I had answered their questions as some headings aligned with what Harvard asked to see in the personal statement. Moreover, since any committee will read thousands of applications, it is important to compartmentalize topical areas so a reader can focus on what he or she feels is important. Many readers got bored, uh, get bored quickly, so headings keep them focused. That's the advice. I've gathered from your advice on the podcast that law school personal statements are less about seeing how well we narrate the story of our lives and more about just explaining why we want to go to law school and how the last two or three years of our academic and professional lives have influenced this. So keeping that in mind, the section header advice doesn't seem that absurd. Anyway, I was wondering what you thought of the tactic. The book was also written in 2013, which could make the advice pretty outdated. No, it's just bad advice. But I still thought it would be worthwhile to reach out. Best Oh, what do you think, Ann? Have you ever done section headings in a personal statement? No. <laughs> Are you going to start? That's the easiest now? question you, you guys have ever asked me. <laughs> okay, there have there was one or two over the last twenty years where I allowed someone to do ellipses between paragraphs. You know, a separator because oh. I, I know, wow. I know, like a little asterisk because it was a really creatively written personal statement, which I don't usually go for, but in this case, it really worked beautifully. Prologue. We needed to separate out some portions. Chapter one. But no, you have two pages double spaced for most law schools. That is not a lot of words. If you're wasting four of those lines with subheadings, you're wasting an opportunity, four lines of sharing something about yourself, to be honest. Like, I can't imagine a situation where I would have someone literally take a prompt that a law school is asking and break it down into pieces like that. Um, I, I just, I can't imagine a situation where I would advise that. No. How many different personal statements do you recommend people even have? No, no, no. One personal statement. Sometimes yeah. it's different lengths for different schools, but we start with one that's like three or four pages and we keep cutting the different schools' lengths. We don't change the endings unless a specific a school specifically asks you to change and address why Columbia you know, why University of Maryland. Otherwise, no, you have one personal statement because they all want to know the same thing. Yeah. Hey, by the way, for those why questions, aren't they usually separate essays? Some schools, no. Uh, Columbia, University of Maryland, a few schools ask for it within the the personal statement itself. It's not common, Hmm. but a few schools do. Okay. And so then you tweak the end to accommodate. Usually, depending on the school, depending on the person's personal statement, how it's structured, it would be in the conclusion and therefore law school and therefore why this law school. Um, and it would go naturally. But I've seen it flipped in reverse and people start with that and then explain why. Mm. Like I, Or and sometimes I've seen it mixed in in the middle. Like I did this and I was really impressed to see that this law school offered this that's similar and then move on. So there's no one way to do it, but most of the time we do it in the conclusion. Most of the time you don't do it at all. You only do it if they ask you to. Right. Explicitly I, ask you to. Let me ask you this. I've seen enough of the prompts that it, it, it makes me think that they sometimes accidentally make it look like they want you to talk about their law school, but really all they did was just kind of name drop themselves in their own prompt and they didn't really mean it. You know, like Golden Gate. I, I don't help anyone apply to Golden Gate, but uh, the um, 
it's very clear to me, University of Maryland, for example, wants you to address why they carry their school of law. Okay, so so yes, I I believe in following directions and not not infusing my own, oh, they don't really mean it. If they explicitly say address your reasons for applying to Columbia Law School, then I'm gonna address Columbia Law School. If they say address your reasons for applying to University of Maryland, I'm going to address that. I'm gonna show I paid attention to the instructions. It's also a yield protection thing at many schools. It's yes. So it's yes. just not believable at a school outside the top 14 or outside the top 25 or whatever. Like really UC Hastings College of the Law? You want me to mention UC Hastings College of the Law? Well, no Hastings way. doesn't, but Maryland does. And so it's a very good example because it's a public school that they won't understand why someone from Boston or from um, in New York or California would want to go there if they're not local and they want to know why. Uh, same with um, Minnesota does this as well in the application. There are a number of schools. Hawaii basically says, have you ever even been to Hawaii or flying here? So yes, I mean, I, I do feel that's important for those schools that ask it. There's a reason they're asking. And following directions is kind of the number one thing you're being tested on when you're applying to law school. Can you follow directions? Are you responsive to questions? And do you know what facts are relevant? <laughs> so kind of important things. I'll keep an eye out. Because I know for sure I've seen state, I've seen prompts where I'm like, they can't possibly, they, they, all they're doing is saying why law school and they happen to name themselves and they just don't really actually mean it. I can certainly see, yes, yield protection and certain Hawaii. There's lots of times where it would make sense, but there's just too many times where it doesn't make any sense. I'll, I'll send them to you if I come across. All right, cool. I look forward to it. Okay. All right. So this next one's about the LSAT and you're I'll welcome listen in. to stay. You want to <laughs> hang out? Cool. I'll hang out okay. a few minutes and then I actually should get back to work apparently. Okay, go ahead. Wait, wait, wait. What are you, what this are you is doing work. now? This Anna? is fun. This is fun. Oh, this good. Is work. I'm glad you think of it that way. <laughs> um, all right. Reading out loud is the subject line. Hi. I just started watching your pod watching your podcast. Oh, I guess on YouTube maybe. And I've already found so many useful LSAT tips. Thank you. Exclamation point. I've been missing three to seven questions on logical reasoning for the last five practice tests and countless drills. There wasn't a single question type that I was getting wrong, so I figured I must not be fully processing the stimulus. That's when I experimented with speaking out loud. To to my surprise, I missed just two questions on a 40-question drill. Now I'm looking for an LSAC-compliant way to recreate speaking out loud or at least the mental process that accompanies it. Do you have any suggestions? Or is this discovery too weird to build off of? Best, M. You are not allowed to speak out loud during the LSAT. The LSAT flex proctors will interrupt you, stop your test, potentially cancel your test if you speak out loud during the test. And that's because they are worried that Ben Olson is like under the table, under the desk, feeding you the answers. Uh, so if you read the questions out loud, you're, you know, you could be reading them to Ben and he could be. Dude, we talked about not talking about that. Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I am upset. Um, this listener, thank you, by the way, for listening. You're also paying way too much attention to small sample sizes. Missing three to seven questions on at least five tests. Five tests ain't shit. And your special trial that you did where you missed two in 40 questions of drilling. Drilling, you're not timing yourself anyway. 
and missing two out of 40 is good, but it's not crazily, statistically speaking, it's not going to be crazily different than missing three to seven questions in an LR section. So it's in your head. It's probably not actually helping you. Um, I don't know, Ben, anything about reading out loud? My, my only thought is if it is helping you, it might be because you're paying attention more when you're reading out loud and you just need to do that without verbalizing. Pay attention more? Yeah. Like, listen to what you're Slow reading. down. It makes you slow down. I agree. Yeah, I think it's totally a slowing down thing. I mean, they. it's not – yeah, you're not doing it in a timed setting anyway. So it, it takes a lot longer to read out loud than it does to read in your head. And so you necessarily have slowed down. Yeah. Yeah. Um, also, you're probably getting better at the LSAT. I mean, like you, you've been studying. Presumably, you've been learning. And so the, the most recent trial, you did better, but it doesn't have to be just because you read out loud that time. It could be that you've actually built some skills that aren't related to the reading out loud. And you so finally the conclusion got doesn't off. necessarily follow is what you're saying. That they, Correct. Wow. You have a name for that. <laughs> huh, what, what is that called? All right. On that note, I'm going to go because I'm no LSAT expert. I just know enough to be dangerous. But thanks for having me, guys. Always fun. Thanks, and yeah. Catch you next time. Bye. Uh, back to your point about drilling. Yes. Drilling is so, is like so different. There's no time limit. I don't know. It's just not a good comparison. People totally don't understand, uh, sample sizes either. I mean, they just, they really don't. Y'all do not understand how long the long run actually is or how long the short run is, you know, that you four tests, five tests, is nothing. And students love extrapolating from less than that. They, they want to find trends in their most recent one data point. Have and we talked about can't. the evolutionary reason that people tend to spot trends? When oh, is this going to be like, are you going to give us a lesson on like thinking fast and slow? I can't remember what book it was from. It's just yeah. the idea that like basically erring towards spotting trends that don't exist is more evolutionary advantageous than not spotting trends that do exist, right? Like you mistakenly think that the grass moving is like a tiger. No consequence. You miss that and you're fucked, right? So right. I can't remember who was going through the different things, I, but it's I, like we're kind I of wanna, programmed to catch things. Pretty sure that's in Thinking Fast and Slow. That book was by uh, Kahneman. Which was a really yeah. great book about how the brain works. Um, yeah, I, I think you're right. We're we are amazing at spotting patterns. We're like mm -hmm. super good at it, but we're so good at it that we see patterns in f where there is no, <laughs> in fact, signal. We can we yeah. can infer a signal when there is no signal. Yep. Um, you got to break that. That's what we're trying to tell you. Yeah, you just. I mean. Every student always wants to ask me about trends and plateaus and, you know. Question types. M mentioned that here. Oh, I'm not getting a single question type. What? It's like, yeah. Right. And, and so it's like the way M can improve the route forward involves those two questions that they missed on that 40-question drill. I don't give a shit about the reading out loud. I I want to I want to look at the one I want 
let's look at one question you missed and let's learn as much as we can about that one question. Yeah. And then let's do that again. And you know, this trend that he or she saw in the, I'm missing three to seven questions on LR. Okay. That's three to seven opportunities to learn. And we have to dig in deeply one question at a time until you really get it. Somebody asked me yesterday who a good who like who would be good for the demon and who I thought would not be good for the demon. And I, I, I was spe- we we're talking specifically about demon live and I was thinking specifically about oh, yeah. my classes. Yeah. As a teacher, the, the students who, who aren't going to work well with me are the ones mm-hmm. that cannot handle directness and yeah. the ones who cannot humble themselves enough to say, number 17, this one right here, I don't understand X, Y, Z about this question. You know, you know that student, Ben, it's our least favorite student always. <laughs> I'm sure you're going to agree with this. The student who they always go, well, I understand it. <laughs> I go, yeah. well, I understand the stimulus. And I understand the yeah. question and I understand the, the answer, why the right answer is right. Mm-hmm. But I missed it anyway, because, you know, they're like, all they want to do is just tell you how smart they are. And it's like, well, you, eventually you better get around to, I don't understand something <laughs> about this question. Because the question didn't understand you. <laughs> like when you put in that answer, it was like, no, <laughs> that's not, that is <laughs> invalid. Um, so anyway, you know, that's, we have that culture for sure within the LSAT demon that we, we we're especially me, I'm going to communicate very directly to you about the things, you know, here's why it makes sense. Here's what they meant. Here's what they said. Here's what they asked. Here's what they meant. Here's the, this is why this is the answer. And by the way, I predicted the answer because it makes perfect sense. That's the direct kind of teaching style that we have, but we also really, really need our students to tell us the stuff that they don't understand and to ask us good questions. And we have a hundred different ways for people to do that in the live classes and via the ask button, um, which by the way, Ben, I think we're back to a 24 hour max turnaround time on the ask. Oh, great. Yeah. 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 Anyway, that's all at lsatdemon.com. If you want to study with us, you should. By the way, yeah, I was talking. I have to agree with you. The, that student, that kind of student, is like the most painful, right? It's the worst. There's a lot of like, okay. I was thinking of their cousin, right? The cousin who says, <laughs> like, I'm really familiar with like all the the techniques and the strategies of the test. I, I'm I'm pretty like advanced. Um, I'm just not quite scoring where I need to score yet. It's just like, what do you mean? You know, no, you don't. You don't understand the logic, which is why you're getting these things wrong. Like, oh no, I, I, get the, I get the logic. I understand. I like, get the test. Yeah. I understand the test. I'm just scoring 155. It's like, well, okay. I get it. I totally understand. It's just, I'm, I just struggle with speed. Yeah. Or I totally understand it. I just struggle with accuracy. And it's like, well, no, you don't understand it. That's why you struggle with speed and accuracy. Yeah. If you understood it, it would be easy yeah. because it's easy. <laughs> you know, people take like Kaplan or they take some other shitty. Yeah prep course and um they they're they're earnest right i mm-hmm. mean a lot of these students are hard working 
and earnest. And they did the whole Kaplan course. They wasted, you know, two grand and six months and did all these stupid lessons, mm-hmm. memorized all the garbage that Kaplan wanted them to memorize. And then they they think now that's like, well, no, because I I have a good foundation. Yeah. <laughs> I totally understand. It's like, yeah, no, you you misunderstand. That's the problem. You <laughs> think you understand. <laughs> but you're wrong. There's yeah. nothing wrong yeah. with admitting that you don't understand. No. It, and hey. You, no one I'm cares hiring, and that's the first step to success. We've added a bunch of new awesome teachers, right, over the past month or two. We, we now have multiple live classes seven days a week in Zoom, um, lsatdemon.com, if you want to subscribe and start studying with us. I'm teaching tonight, but we have classes running all the time. There could be classes going right now. I don't even know. But <laughs> one true. of the things I require <laughs> yeah. when I'm interviewing teachers, I make it very clear to them that they are not to claim to understand everything. Yes. I like even though I know that they scored 175 as a teacher you have to say I don't know sometimes. It's the most powerful thing you can do as a teacher. If anybody wants teaching advice, the best way to teach is to sometimes when you get to something that you don't understand, you got to go, "Oh, I don't I don't hmm, man, I'm struggling here, guys. Why what is yeah. it about this? Like why how do we get rid of this wrong answer? I don't really get it." And that's one of the things that I've told all of our new teachers is like, hey, you, you've got to be giving that back to the class sometimes where you're going to get stuck. Yeah. And, um, you know, I want our teachers to be hitting the ask button sometimes. Mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> like, hey, this one came up in class tonight and I'm stuck. Mm-hmm. Th- those are going to be <laughs> can- some of the most productive ask questions too. Like, Of course. Like, what, no, can you gonna, clarify Jackson, answer choice B? Yeah. Yeah, well, some any of the other teachers, and they probably do it by committee, are going to get on that question, and they're going to really think about it and take their time, and they're going to write out a full explanation, write out the full like thought process behind it. Um, that's an opportunity for the teacher to learn, and it's an opportunity for the class to learn while the teacher learns. So, for sure, <laughs> if our teachers are willing to say, "I don't know," you know, if I'm willing to say, "I don't know." Well, then, of course, the students are <laughs> supposed to say, I don't know. That's the whole point of <laughs> trying to learn, right? Cool. Anyway, yeah. Last one is recent fan writing for the pros of the Flex. I think it might be your turn, actually. I okay. can't remember, but yeah. Hi, Ben and Nathan. I only started listening to your podcast slash subscribing to The Demon about a month ago. And I can only say, I wish I had known about your program sooner. I took the LSAT for the first time yesterday and completed my writing sample today. I was nervous after hearing all the horror stories on the show, but I actually had a pleasant experience. I was logged on to ProctorU. My proctor was hands-off and only talked to me on sign-in and sign-out, and that was it. Very simple. I'm in the army stationed in Italy, and I did not think I would be going to law school when COVID hit. I spent several months under extremely strict lockdown measures, and I did not go anywhere besides my my apartment, my work, and the grocery store from March through May. 
My grand plans of traveling to the States for summer break and taking the LSAT there quickly evaporated. I did not even get to go home for my own grandmother's funeral, so I knew I wouldn't be allowed to travel just for the LSAT. Well, the commander-in-chief is doing all sorts of things. <laughs> the actual armed forces are not going to their grandmother's funeral while Trump is, like, having parties for himself. I'm sorry. Um, sorry. Yes, very sorry. Um, yeah. The only overseas option left this year was the October test. I signed up to take it in Rome, but was still nervous as Rome is several hours and states away. At the time, even after we were allowed to leave our town of residence, we were still restricted to the state we lived in. The announcement of Flex was actually a huge relief to me. The only place I knew I could take the test was my own home with how rapidly lockdown measures continue to change. Also, because of Flex, I'm also signed up for the November test. I would not have had that second option otherwise, since October was originally the only overseas option for the rest of the year. Anyway, I just wanted to share some positive views of the new format. I still have strong feelings against LSAC from their delayed score releases to their steep slash mandatory prices that add up quickly. But as for the flex itself, I am a fan. Thanks for everything you do and praise the demon. That's L writing in. Very nice, L. Thank you. Yeah, little good news from the field. There's all kinds of good shit. Yeah, that has happened as a result of COVID. Yeah, like it, I hope people can at least in you know the dumpster fire that is 2020. I hope people can at least acknowledge that there were a lot of good things that came of people being forced into doing online shit. Yeah, they've had tons of problems with Proctor U. Don't get me wrong. I mean, they've we st- every single test we do hear from people, like one of the current demon students, the Proctor, twenty minutes in, just start twenty minutes into a section, just started talking to them about what? Like, hey, I can't. Like, <laughs> hey, I can't hear you. I can't. Say, I can't hear you. And it was like, what? Can't hear me? I'm not saying anything. <laughs> <laughs> You know, shit like that. (laughs) They are um, attempting to iron out the kinks, and I I would say the majority, even the vast majority of students, have no problems. But there still are lots of problems. (laughs) But but that said, it's better than not having it at all. This person was going to like take it while they were back in the states. Yeah, you know, an entire continent away to come visit but also take have one shot at taking the LSAT now they can take it um, twice and now they can do it from home I mean it's 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 immensely better no I have to agree with you 100% I mean the thing it's it is a uh, you know a shit show but at the same time it's shit shows that make us move forward right like yeah I was thinking about this apparently Peter Thiel one of the Founders, I think, of uh, PayPal likes to ask, why can't you do your 10-year goal in six months? And, mm. you know, sometimes it's not possible, but the point is to get you thinking, like, what what assumptions, just like we were talking about at the beginning of the show, oh, I can't leave D.C., are holding you back because you don't even shine the light of day on them for a half second. You just accept them as reality and it's over, right? And I was thinking about that with this vaccine. I was just reading, my son was writing some article for his science class and it's like, most vaccines take like 10 years or something like that. I don't know. I I don't know what the timeframe is, but he's like, we're 
even though it seems slow, we're trying to basically accomplish this in like a year or two, which is extraordinary. We can do shit when we try to ask ourselves over and over, what can I do now? As opposed to just going with the flow. Necessity is the mother of invention. You know, Mm -hmm. like all of, just think about anything you do on the, on the regular basis now has been improved like you can do much more stuff on your phone. You can do much more stuff on websites. They have contactless everything. You know, when I go play golf now, it's all of a sudden every golf course allows you to make tee times online, pay online. You don't even, in some cases, have to go into the pro shop. You just like show up and go to the first tee. You know, yeah. <laughs> there's a guy there who has a iPad and he has your name. Oh, welcome. And you just like go, you know, and there's like all shit that could have, it was just obviously better, but nobody was forced into, into doing it. And so flex is clearly one of these things. Yeah. I, I speculate that a lot of school is going to, a lot of higher education, maybe not kindergarten, you know, maybe not even fifth grade. Yeah. But I feel like I see my niece doing her school stuff. She seems to be killing it. She's only online for like an hour and a half a day. She's a, a seventh grader, but she's totally killing it. She, she like is doing great. Yeah. <laughs> Without the like big, grab ass of, you know, having to go to school every day and waste six hours just getting that, you know, like you're constantly getting into the class or leaving the class and coming back into the class and leaving the class again. And like, <laughs> or, or getting sick, right? Like one kid gets a right. cold and then everybody else gets a cold. My, my kid, did I tell you this? My, my third kid's in a pod and there's seven okay. kids and one kid went down. And so all the parents, even, oh, my kid's sick. And then everyone got it. And then I got it. And I was like, shit, like I haven't been sick for months because there's no interaction with anything. And I was like, this sucks to be sick. But thankfully I knew exactly what was going to happen because everyone had the same symptoms. It was like stuffy nose, you know, tired. And then like day three, you're like getting better. Day four, it's gone. Did they get, or did you get a COVID test? Was it like, yeah, well, that's the other thing is some of them did. And so when they did and they got a strep test too, and then it's like all came back negative. I'm like, well, I don't have that. So I'm good. Yeah, I mean, it does seem that like our health has improved in a lot of ways because of this yeah. <laughs> whole thing. Maybe not our mental health, but our physical health. <laughs> yeah. Although, no, I mean, uh, mental health too. For for some students, it's a much better environment for them to be able to be in their own space. Sure. Yeah. Think about like accommodating people for anybody with differences or disabilities or whatever. Like, I, I shouldn't say disabilities, I guess, but uh, differences. Yeah it's much more comfortable for them to not have to (laughs) my classroom in San Francisco. You never saw it, huh? The chancellor with the crazy mural of the San Francisco Bay. Oh, I've seen a Yelp picture where, yeah. My home away from home. Oh yeah. The one that Kaplan posted on their (laughs) site. (laughs) Kaplan was posting me on all their Yelp everywhere. I wonder if that's still up. That was like a couple of years ago, huh? Oh, you didn't engage Um, in a lengthy litigation. Anyway, (laughs) Yeah. Right. That room had a it had an elevator but it was an old like european style hotel with mm. the um 
kind of spiral, almost uh, staircase up oh, to the yeah, yeah. Interesting. second floor. And almost everybody would take that instead of waiting for the elevator. And it was like a pretty small room. And yeah, I mean, for anybody with any kind of differences at all, including, you know, anxiety and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And now they can just be at home talking to me face to face on zoom. Mm-hmm. And if they don't want to see anybody else, they don't have to see anybody else besides me. If they don't want to show their face, they can turn off their camera. Yeah. You know, it's like, I've been thinking about this a lot because I've loved so much teaching on zoom that I just don't think, you know, if the miracle cure came tomorrow, I don't think I'm getting back on the Southwest shuttle flights back and forth to restart my classes no. uh, in the city. Why would I have a worldwide class on zoom? That's more effective than the live class ever was hundred percent. Yeah. And we think that this is also why people are scoring better on the flex. We talked about this at the top of the show with Ann, but Mm -hmm. it's multiple different factors, right? Why people are scoring so well on the flex. Yeah. One, our students are killing it Mm -hmm. and we hear from our students. So we hear an awful lot of people writing back saying, Hey, I got a 175. Didn't we hear uh, multiple one eighties on the most recent test? Which like blew my mind. I mean, we've seen them before, but like, together all in one <laughs> test. I, I think the demon, I really, I mean, we're blowing our own horn, but I think the demon is totally killing it. Like people just don't really say bad things about it. People, they love it. They improve fast. They have fun. It's, uh, that's one big factor mm-hmm. to taking the test from home. Yep. Being in your own environment, three, three sections instead of five. Mm-hmm. 35 minutes times three instead of 35 minutes times five plus a break in the middle of it. Plus the writing sample has now been detached, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Writing sample has been detached, which makes the day even shorter. Although the writing sample was already after the scored sections, so it probably doesn't really affect the scores. The fact that you don't have to commute to the testing center, that by itself causes lots of stress. Yeah, remember you know, we told people, people to get there a little bit early so you can know where you're going and well, all that stupid also, stuff. Also, the whole, the whole uh, you can't bring your phone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> remember, yeah. remember that. How do I get home? How do I do it? <laughs> yeah, totally. I, what do I do? I, I don't have a car, or I'm, you know, I'm taking Bart to the test. Really, you want me to take Bart to the testing center and not have my phone with me? <laughs> Thanks, LSAC. You know, so all that stuff's gone now. Um, and then the other one is, of course, accommodations. Uh, we still have yet to hear anybody not getting accommodated. One of our students, Ben, emailed me the other day and said, hey, I got COVID a couple months back. And since then, I've had headaches. Hmm. Wow. That's rough. Do you And do you think that I could get accommodated for that? I was like, absolutely, 100%. Yes, you can. Yep. I would be, I'll be (laughs) absolutely shocked if you're, I think any physician's note, so-and-so is suffering from headaches because, you know, effects of COVID infection two months ago, the student, you needs extra time to, you know, for pain management. Yeah. 
Oh, that's a done deal. Uh, everybody gets um, accommodated for that. Hey, do you know what they don't get accommodated for? Uh, <laughs> what? <laughs> not a com- This is an accommodations issue, actually, but it is LSAC uh, reviewing someone's application. Okay. You'll be shocked, Ben, shocked to learn that they are not nearly as generous when it comes to giving out fee waivers. Hmm. Um, I, ha- I have one, right? I have an email that came into the show this morning. Um, I'm going to jump it onto the agenda if it's okay. okay with you. Yeah, go ahead. Hey, y'all. I have a question about receiving fee waivers from LSAC. Uh, and who you know that's gotten one and who hasn't. I just received a notice that my appeal was denied. And here are some specifics. I sent them my 1099 from last year where I made less than $25,000 for the year. I was working as a freelancer all last year, scraping by. I sent them documentation of my unemployment checks I've received since April from the New York State Department of Labor. I now only receive $300 a week. My rent is $1,600 plus utilities in Brooklyn. Hmm. I sent them a letter stating all of these things and that I'm trying to move back to Georgia for in-state tuition and will likely live with my parents. I even sent them my Medicaid card. Wow. They initially denied it in August because I had $10,000 in my bank account because I had just gotten a delayed payment of $5,000 from a big freelance job that was completed in January. I also haven't been employed at all since April. I am livid. How the hell do you get your fees waived from this place? Do you know anyone who qualifies if this doesn't qualify? Uh, And then that uh, livid correspondent asked to be anonymous. We can just say livid. Livid. What do you think about that? That's interesting because well, I don't know how much to say here, but I, we have people who have been sending us their fee waiver PDFs. Not that many, but we, we have been getting some. So I know that they're out there. And I know that some of those people, I don't know, they were paying something for the demon before. So I don't know how, like, <laughs> I don't know how they decide. It's, it's a rough system. <laughs> I mean, the fact that they charge $30 for us to work with someone who already did qualify for that fee waiver, that strikes me as telling, really. You know, it's just, it's like a, it's just <laughs> like, really? You can't. You, you you have to take every opportunity to charge somebody. Even when you're not charging them, you're going to charge us to work with them, which then forces us to charge them. Really? <laughs> um, how about the $10,000 in the bank account? You actually have to send them your bank records? That's really interesting. They ask for a lot of information. What if you open another account and have $5 in it and send them that account. Is that that would be some Well, maybe on fraud. your credit history, right? 
they have access to all the banks that are under your are name. Are they actually doing are they doing that? Are they like actually running people? No, they're not running people's credit. I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean it's a good question. Why send them that bank account then? It's it's um Hmm. Perplexing. <laughs> I'm surprised how much information this person provided. Look, I already qualified for Medicaid. Like, what else do you need at that point? Oh, hey. Um, sorry, Livid. Um, we do know that people have gotten it. We don't know what the magic secret formula is. At all. Yeah. I guess you just want to look as broke as you possibly can. But, um, yeah, you made the mistake of having $10,000 at the same time. And they... You made the mistake of working. So... <laughs> Anyways, yeah. Just make sure luck. you spend all of your unemployment. Don't ever, don't, don't, don't put it in the bank because LSAC <laughs> is going to want it. Um, I don't know. Anyway, hey, I, I think I have it in my head, Ben. Maybe this is wrong, but I have it in my head that they said that seven percent of all test takers are qualified for the fee waiver. Maybe I'm making that number up, but I hmm. I thought that that we had seen a report okay um, yeah that said seven percent. So I think there's a lot more than seven percent of young people struggling these days. Yeah, it seems like that number should jump, right? Like we've seen unemployment jump. So is LSAC staying with the times or readjusting their standards? <laughs> My my friends up here in Tahoe are all like bartenders and stuff. Yeah. It just happens that I, I live right next door to a bartender and then you just know all the other bartenders and servers and stuff. And they're they're struggling, man. They're all on unemployment. They're all talking about unemployment benefits running out. Wow. It is really tough times. Yeah. LSAC is though they're pretty strict, it sounds like, about these fee waivers. Um, email the show if you want to give us some more data points on this. We're happy to report. In fact, that's the best emails we get, huh, Ben, is people like sharing intelligence with us. Yeah, for sure. So if you got the fee waiver and you want to send in, you know, what kind of documentation you sent in to get the fee waiver, if you got denied, we'd love to hear that too. Um, I'd love to hear somebody who got denied and then got approved on appeal. Mm -hmm. I'd love to know that. What was the key factor there? What was the difference? Yeah, in your appeal. Um, anyway, email the show. Uh, all that stuff. Help at thinkingelsat.com. We'd love for as many of our listeners as possible to get that fee waiver. And if you do, we're happy to work with you in the demon for thirty bucks, or give you a discount off of one of the live classes. Yeah. Can I do one more quick announcement, Ben? Of course. Um, Go I'm ahead. just like looking at yeah. my email here. As we were recording the show, we got an email from our man, Eric, over at the Law School Admission Council. Ooh, okay, timely. It is an extremely long email with bold and links oh, and headings, <laughs> but I'll give the punchline. Okay. Given the continuing COVID-19 emergency, we have made the decision to offer the online remotely proctored LSAT Flex for the last three test administrations in the current testing cycle instead of the in-person tests previously scheduled. This means the January LSAT, the February LSAT, and the April LSAT will now be delivered in the LSAT Flex format only. Surprise. 
then he does the, as you know, and like, yeah. <laughs> as you know, as you know, we've been working hard to help you and get those fee waivers rolled out. Yeah. Um, candidates currently registered for those tests may take that you're, you're registered that you're already going to be moved into the flex mm -hmm. or you can opt out by Friday, November 13th to receive a full refund. If you hate the flex for whatever reason, the only reason would be if you're like extraordinarily good at logical reasoning compared to the other two sections and you just had no hope of recovering. <laughs> Otherwise it's a win, 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 <laughs> we, win. There's one student right now in my, in the live class yeah. who I won't name him. He knows that I love him, but we have like kind of butted heads over because he claims that he is that student, mm. that the flex is not fair to him because he's much better at logical reasoning and shitty at the games. And the games are now worth slightly more and LR is worth slightly less. You know, my, of course, response is, well, get fucking better at the games and then you won't have to have that. You won't like, you won't worry about it anymore. <laughs> you just, cause the games are super, super learnable. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah, I, I guess, but you got to get on with it. Like you've been studying for six months for the LSAT. You can't withdraw just because it's still yeah. flex. That yeah. makes no sense. And apparently score preview is still a thing. Do you, do you have any new thoughts about score preview since we talked about it when it was first announced? No, I'm I, thinking I that it may like be a little less of a less of a benefit. I yeah, like if people decide not to sign up for that, I'm like, yeah, that's fine. Whatever. Like canceling is dumb. It's um it I don't really see the benefit. I, I guess this is what you're kind of saying. I, I like for so I've gone through this scenario with people and it's like, look, if your score is really, really low then maybe you cancel. But you have to know that you're not going to do or that you definitely are going to do better in the future. Uh, otherwise, it's still a value. And you don't know. You may never even take the test again. So having a score is more valuable than a cancellation. Yeah, if they let you do it for your second test or your third test, then it could be valuable because you could see the score, Yeah, compare it to your previous scores, and, then and if it was lower, you could cancel. The only the only thing that's funny about that, though, too, is that if you cancel a second test, everyone's going to know you scored lower than your first. The <laughs> right. They're going to be like, oh, he might have scored higher and canceled. Yeah, no. <laughs> They're going to know. It's not, a, it's not a secret. Yeah. So it's like, yeah. I mean, but I, I think it's still better to have a cancel because just no number. I'd rather have no number than like pull it down. Than a lower number. Sure. But, but yeah, it's even though it's like not it a make? huge like benefit. I don't know. The whole thing is just stupid. <laughs> Cancel is not in their index formula. Lower scores are not in their index formula. Mm -hmm. Their index formula uses the highest number. So it, the truth is it doesn't fucking matter. Yeah. Um, so sign up for it if you want. Don't sign up for it if you don't want. It's 45 bucks. Maybe you could just save the 45 bucks. I mean, because that is the real fucked up thing is that when it's your first attempt and it's only available for people who it's their first attempt. It, even if it's a 120, it's higher than your high, highest previous score because you don't have any previous scores. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> whatever. Yeah. All right. I agree. Um, 
anything else we need to announce or talk about? I don't think so. We'll have Rachel Gezer say on the show in a couple weeks. Oh, nice. That's been a while since she's been around. Yeah. Be cool to catch up with her. Uh, we should say thanks, I guess, to Anne Levine for being on the show again. She's our most most frequent guest, I would say, by far. Yeah. Um, she's lawschoolexpert.com and at lawschoolexpert. I know she's all over Instagram if people want to go find Anne. Also, she mentioned her older book, mm-hmm. Law School Decision Game, yeah. that she told people not to buy because it's outdated. <laughs> Law School Admission Game is her other book, which she just recently updated. And Law School Admission Game is, uh, it might not be worth its weight in gold, uh, but it is worth its weight in um, something. I mean, it's worth, <laughs> it. it's a good enough book bronze. that I can't imagine applying to law school without it. I don't know how much bronze costs. <laughs> um it's worth its weight in nickels for sure. Um, <laughs> so definitely if you're applying to law school, I mean, check out the law school admission game by Anne Levine. It, it's 10 bucks. It's really easy to read. Yeah. Uh, no brainer. You, you got to get it. Yep. Cool. Cool. Well, <clears throat> we're on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at thinking LSAT and at LSAT demon follow at thinking LSAT or or actually both at N Fox on Twitter. Nathan, I noticed you've been uh, tweeting a lot lately. Is that correct? I don't ever go uh, on Twitter. A bit. Yep. Yeah, a little. I Twitter is kind of appealing to me. If you follow the right people, you can just end up with like this world of um, ideas and jokes. Like I follow really smart people and funny people, and. Uh, I tend to like uh, interacting with people on Twitter, at least the way I use it. I'm not on Instagram or Facebook or Mm. I am, but I don't like use those things. But Twitter, I've at least like curated a feed that is useful to me. So I, yeah, I do like to participate on Twitter. Cool. You can leave us a review on iTunes. It's always helpful. Thank you in advance. Email us at help at thinkinglset.com. That was episode 268 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. Thanks, all y'all, for listening. Nice knowing you. Don't pay for law school.